Hi friends, Gerald Law here. Welcome to the Love Lake Norman podcast. Love Lake Norman is a church in Cornelius, North Carolina, whose mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. You're about to hear a message that will be helpful and hopeful. Our goal is to encourage you to take the next step in your faith. Wherever you are, we want you to know that God has a plan and a purpose for you. Thanks for spending time with us today. We hope you enjoy this message. No pressure, right? Um, Hey, everybody. I am Lynn, as Gerald said, and I am not one of the pastors here at Love Lake Norman, but I do teach kindergarten through second grade and love kids. So if at any point today you think I'm talking like you're a six-year-old, now you know why. Um, Let me just get it started off in prayer. Um, Hey, God, just thank you for who you are. Thank you, God, for who you are to each of us. Thank you, God, for being present with us today. God, I just pray that you have prepared each heart here today to receive the message you have uniquely designed for them. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak through me and help me always to remember, God, this is not about me at all. This is about you. So God, we give you all the glory for our time together. In your son's Jesus' name, amen. Um, Well, my husband and I have been going here to Love Lake Norman for right at a year and a half, and we have been married for 35 years and three weeks. Yes. Our anniversary was July 2nd, our 35th anniversary. We have three grown children and others who are like our children, and we have three grandchildren. And they're going to be showing up on the screen here any minute. Those are our three grand, our three grandchildren. Atlas is four, Arlo is two, and little Maisie girl was just born in May. They are so precious. Now, let me tell you, even before I knew I was going to have grandchildren or be a grandmother, I had this idea of what this experience was going to be like for me. Actually, I had this vision of a specific point in time that was going to happen. Because see, I had this idea that one day this sweet little grandchild would come to me and they would take their little hands and they would cut my face in them and they would look at me with eyes of love and adoration and they would say, I love you, Nana, because they were gonna be so overwhelmed with love for me. That's the passion that, you know what I'm saying? They're going, I love you. Okay, so this is, I don't know why, I I don't judge. I don't know why I hope this would happen, but I just did. Okay, so now, as I said, the oldest is four, and this experience happened about six or seven months ago. So he's like three and a half. And so if you have spent a lot of quality time with a child that, or a lot of time with a child that age, you know you spend a lot of quality time with them on the potty. Right? Because you know, they're just getting the hang of it. They need some help. They're on the potty. You're kind of there assisting. You have their undivided attention. They're still. So you get to have some really quality chats. So Atlas and I are having that experience. I mean, he's on the potty, not me. And so we're just chatting about something. And our faces are really close together. And, I, and we're chatting. And I can tell he's really examining my face with an intensity. Oh, isn't that sweet? He's just looking at me so close and intense. And then he just takes one sweet little hand and lays it across my cheek. And he says, Nana? I go, yes, Atlas. Because you know what I'm thinking. I'm thinking the moment of my dreams is about to happen. So he's going, Nana? Yes, Atlas. He says, Nana, do you have a mustache? Not exactly the words I was hoping to hear. And I go, no, buddy. Nana doesn't have a mustache, just a little fuzz above my lip. And he says, oh, 
but it looks like a mustache. I said, no, buddy, I promise you it's not. Uh, um, no, I said, but you know, Nana needs to take care of this. I said, but you know, I have it because it hurts. He goes, it hurts? Yes, buddy, it hurts. Now, what I'm about to tell you may be a little too personal for you. If this makes you uncomfortable, I'm sorry. Just close your ears or hum or something. But I'm not the only woman who has a little fuzz above her lip. And over the years, my friends and I had tried different things. There have been the bleaching, the chemicals, the waxing. But most recently, my oldest daughter, the, the mother of this sweet cherub child, has said, Mom, you know, maybe you should try threading. Ooh, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. She said, you know, it's really cheap and it doesn't hurt that bad. Hurt that bad being the operative phrase here. Because let me tell you people, I have a pretty high threshold of pain. I have had bunions. I had my bones broken, shaved off and reset twice. I have had gum surgery. They have peeled gum off the roof of my mouth and patched it in. I had that done twice. I have given birth to children naturally three times. Oh. Don't, don't, don't applaud. Uh, but nothing, I tell you, compares to having a little woman taking a long string of thread and one by one plucking out every hair above your lip. I didn't tell, did I tell the sweet cherub child this? No. I just simply said, well, buddy, it hurts. So he's in problem solving mode now. So he's going, he's going, hmm, 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 hmm. I have a good idea, he says. So he gets himself together and then he runs into the living room and he comes back very quickly with something behind his back. And he says, Nana, my mommy's friend let her use this for the couch. Maybe this will work. <laughs> and he, this is like called a fuzz shaver. Now, he says, a fuzz shaver, you'd use a fuzz shaver like to get if you have pills on your sweater, like little picks, or on your couch with fuzz, or on a rug. It is something you fuzz, you get fuzz off, which, let's be honest, was pretty ingenious a three-and-a-half-year-old came up with this. And he's like, hey, Nana, use this on your face. And I was like, oh, buddy, that is so sweet. But I'm not sure Nana should use that on her face. And he's like, oh, okay. So... But a couple of things we can get from this story. One, four-year-olds have really good eyes. So if you want any of your imperfections pointed out, get really close to them and in love, they will point them out to you. Um, and also never look at any normal household item again in the same way. It can do a lot of different things. An ordinary little fuzz shaver can, might do extraordinary things. Um, but that is essentially the, the, our series, how God uses ordinary things for extraordinary purposes. And we have been looking at a prophet named Elijah. Now a prophet was simply a messenger of God. A prophet was someone God used to share his message, his story, or to his people. Usually, um, prophets were used to give warnings, like, hey, you better redirect, you're going to go the wrong way, or give them a warning about maybe uh, in minutes, uh, uh, yeah, something bad that was about to happen, or maybe just to tell them something. So Elijah was a prophet of God. Now, Elijah just shows up on the scene. One day, God asked Elisha to go give some really bad news to King Ahab, and shooting the messenger was a real possibility. So God said, hey, Elijah, you need to get out of here and run. So Elijah went away after delivering this bad message, and God used ravens to care for Elijah. The ravens brought food to Elijah. And the really unique part of that story is the characteristic of a raven 
is not to give food. Ravens are scavengers. They take food, not give it. But God used the raven to care for Elijah and take him food. God changed the character of the raven. Shows us that God can change our character, our ordinary character to be used for extraordinary things. So then, meanwhile, my little raven doesn't want to stand. Oh, you just lay down. Um, okay, so now we have a rock. Um, he's fine. He's fine. No raven was hurt to make use of the story. So now we have a rock. So after this happened, we have the rock to remind us at some point the people of Israel were worshiping the false god Baal, which obviously is not even real. So Elijah now builds an altar to God. He builds an altar to God made with stone and wood and animal sacrifice. But not only that, he pours barrels and barrels and barrels of water on the altar to God. There's an altar to Baal, altar to God, altar to Baal. Nothing happens when they pray to Baal because Baal's not real. But the altar to God, Elijah prays to God and God brings down fire from heaven and burns up everything. He burns up the animal sacrifice, he burns up the wood, he burns up the stone, which typically doesn't burn, and water. I mean, typically things soaked don't burn up. I mean, we put some fire on our solo stove and it's wet, all we get is smoke. But God burnt everything up. Typically rocks don't burn, but God showed his extraordinary power using an ordinary stone. So then we have over here the running shoes. And um, these are my husband's stinky running shoes because Ethan forgot his. Um, but we remember the running shoes because after Elijah saw God's extraordinary power when he burned up the altar. Elijah was in, in danger because now some people are pretty mad at Elijah. So Elijah runs. Elijah runs away. He runs from the people. He runs from God. And Elijah is tired. But even though Elijah ran away, even though Elijah hid, even though Elijah said to God, God, I am done. I am so tired. God did not give up on Elijah. God still loved Elijah and God still used Elijah. So this is our reminder is that no matter where we are, even when we run from God, even when we disappoint ourselves and disappoint God, God still loves us and God can still use us and God can use ordinary us to do extraordinary things. Okay, so now let me catch us up on where we are in today's story. Got to give you a little bit of filler here so you know where we are. So this has been Elijah. So after Elijah was so tired and worn out, he said, God, I'm just done. And God said, you know what, Elijah? I know you're tired. So you know what, Elijah? I have found a successor for you. I have found you a protege. I have you found you a mentee. I have found someone to take over for you. So he said, Elijah, I have found a guy named Elisha to fill in for you, to take over. Now that has always been a little confusing for me. How would I keep Elijah and Elisha straight? Well, let me tell you this, the only way I can remember who was who with Elijah and Elisha is the J and Elijah comes before the S and Elisha. So you can, you can use that. So Elijah comes first, then we have Elisha. So now Elijah listens to God he goes out and finds this guy, Elisha, and he finds Elisha, he has his oxen, and he's plowing his field, and then Elijah comes up to Elisha. This is so complicated, I'm sorry. Elijah goes up to Elisha, and he throws his cloak 
over onto Elisha. And because of what the cloak meant to people at that time, Elisha knows, hey, I am now supposed to follow Elijah. And now Elisha works with Elijah up until the day that Elijah is taken up to heaven in a whirlwind fueled by a chariot of fire. You have to listen to the Rich Mullins song, Elijah, to quickly get what that means. That's the song, I'm not gonna sing it for you. But the, but the count is Elijah and Elisha are together. A chariot of fire comes and separates Elijah from Elisha. Then Elijah is taken up into heaven in a whirlwind. So he never actually died. Is that night so cool? Elijah is taken up into heaven. Now, a little trivia here. There's one other person in the Bible that did not die, that was taken up into heaven. You can, I want, let's have some audience participations. You wanna know who that was? Who else was taken up into heaven who did not die? Enoch, Enoch very good, Enoch. So there are two people in the Bible who did not die. That is Enoch and Elijah, the two people. And I may or may not prayed to go to heaven the same way. I'm just saying. Okay, so now here we are. Elisha is now the head prophet. Oh, also, right before Elijah died, or he didn't die, sorry, he went to heaven. Right before Elijah left this earth and went to heaven, Elisha asked Elijah if he could have a double portion of his spirit, and that was granted. So now Elisha is the head prophet. He is the prophet to Israel and Judah, the prophet of God, and he now has a double portion of Elijah's spirit. So now, here we are today. Now we're ready to get into today's story. So now today in 2 Kings 6, we are told that the king of Aram is at war with Israel. Which let me tell you, somebody is always at war with Israel. Right now it's Aram, the king is at war with Israel. So the king and his officers are plotting to attack the Israelites. They plot, they have covert operations. In the middle of the night they make plans and they're gonna go sneak up on the Israelites. But something happens time and time again. Every time they get to the Israelite camp to attack them, they're not there. This doesn't happen once, this doesn't happen twice, this happens multiple times that they go to attack the Israelites and they're not there. It's almost as if they've been forewarned or something. So now the king of Aram is mad, he is mad. So this is where we're gonna start in looking at 2 Kings chapter six. Um, this is verse 11 and it says, the king of Aram became very upset over this. He called his officers together and demanded, which of you is the traitor? Who has been informing the king of Israel of my plans? So he thinks, oh, there's someone committing espionage amongst us, like some of the spy movies we would watch today. But then, the, but then one of his officers says, next verse, so now the people are afraid because the king is mad. They're thinking, oh no, he's gonna start taking off our heads. He says, one of the officers says, it's not us, my Lord, the king. One of the officers replied, Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. Dun, dun, dun. If this was a movie today, it'd be like Elisha is going covert. He's like got a disguise and he is sneaking into enemy headquarters and he has planted a bug or a listening device right under the king's bed. 
that's not what happened. God just told Elisha. So God is telling Elisha what the king is planning. And then Elisha goes and warns the Israelites. So then... Now the king says, okay, you go get him. Go and find out where he is, the king commanded, so I can send troops to seize him. And the report came back, Elisha is at Dothan. This kind of makes me think the king is not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Because let's think about this. If Elisha knows how the king is going to attack the Israelites and is telling the Israelites, do you not think Elisha also knows the king's plans to come after him? Hmm... Makes you wonder. Just think about that. So, it says, so one night the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the entire city. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning, so he gets up, he's going outside, he's doing his daily chores. There were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Can you imagine waking up, just going outside one morning and seeing yourself surrounded by an army of soldiers? So uh, the servant says, yells to Elisha, probably not very calmly, oh, sir, what will, we, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha because let's face it, he is freaking out. He is surrounded. These guys are not soldiers, Elisha and his servant. They're just ordinary guys, ordinary guys. But this is what Elisha says. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Do not be afraid. Do you have any idea how many times in the Bible it says, do not be afraid, do not fear? I was searching this, and in some places it said there were 365 times in the Bible that it said, do not be afraid. I went, wow, that's pretty cool. That's one do not be afraid for every day of the year. But in reality, that's not, it doesn't really say it that many times. It's kind of a folklore thing. Nice thought, but it's not truth. And we're all about truth here. Actually, though, it does say it more than 100 times in the Bible. God says, or he has someone say, do not be afraid. Do not fear. The very first time we read this is in Genesis 15.1. God says to Abraham, do not be afraid. You will have children. You will have descendants. Your descendants will actually be more than all the stars in the sky. Then when Joshua is leading the children of Israel into the promised land, God tells Joshua time and time again, be strong and courageous. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. And then when um, the angel goes to Mary when, and he tells her she's gonna be the mother of the son of God, the angel says to Mary, do not be afraid. We're told this over and over again in the Bible, even in Isaiah. In Isaiah, we see this, it says, God says to the people, so do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you, and I will hold you up by my righteous right hand. God's telling us, he is with us. We have no need to fear. Do not be afraid. But fear is a tool, is a weapon of the enemy. Satan uses fear to control us. Satan uses fear to distract us from the power of God, God who is our, with us, 
who is always with us, who strengthens us, who has us by his right hand. Satan uses fear to distract us from God. Because see, we cannot focus on two things at one time. We can't focus on the power of God and who he is to us and what we're afraid of. We can't do it. Um, Like I said, I gave birth to three children naturally. Don't be too impressed. I had very, very short labors. But the way I got through contractions when I was in labor was when I would feel the pain of a contraction coming on. I would totally just get loose and still and relaxed. I wouldn't clench, had to relax. And I would breathe deeply. And I would close my eyes. And in my mind's eye, I would see a little sailboat and I would see an ocean blue of water, and I would see this little sailboat going across this line of water. And then I would see it from one end to the other, and I would just focus on that, and when it was done, pretty much the contraction was over. So if you're ever having a baby, just use that. It might work for you, or it may not. But I was, if I was focusing on that to not focus on the pain and the fear of childbirth, She can't focus on two things at one time. If I'd given into the pain, I would have been clenched and tight and overwhelmed and I'd be screaming. But what Satan wants us to do is he wants us to focus on the challenge, on what makes us afraid. Because if we're focused on that, we can't focus on who God is to us. But God is saying, nah, look at me. Don't look at makes you afraid. Do not be afraid. Because let's see what's happened next in the story. So then Elisha prayed, oh Lord, open his eyes and let him see. So the Lord opened the young man's eyes and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. Everywhere he looked, he could see the power of God all around him. See, he could now see what Elisha saw the entire time, the power of God. See, just because the servant could not see the power of God all all around him does not mean it wasn't there. He just couldn't see it. He did not have eyes to see. Maybe he didn't have the faith. Maybe he just didn't have the ability. But the power of God was there even when he could not see it. Even when he didn't have on the right glasses. See, guys, it's the same for us. The power of God is with us even when we can't see it. He is always there. We have the promise of God's spirit, the Holy Spirit with us all the time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Uh, He takes no vacation and doesn't have to leave voicemail. This is what Jesus tells us in John. He says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Jesus promised when he was on earth that when he died, that if we give our life to him, if we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we will immediately have the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon us, living in us, residing in us at all times. We have access to that power all the time. Guys, we have a superpower. We have a superpower within us at all times. See, God did not leave Elisha and his servant defenseless and powerless. No, they were always had the power of God with them. And even when we cannot see the power of God with us, 
We have that power with us at all times. So when we find ourselves defenseless and we think we are powerless, even we can't see God, his power is with us all the time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Just like he was with Elisha and his servant. He was there with them. He did not leave them. He did not abandon them. He did not forsake them. God's power was there, protecting them, guiding them. Let me tell you how the story ends. So, um, oh, oh, there's the rest of it. So the spirit, let me, let me finish, wrap this up with you. So the spirit of truth, um, so, so Jesus says, the spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. So the spirit of God is with us at all times. He lives within us and we can know him and he knows us. So let me tell you what happens in the rest of the story, which is really interesting. So now Elisha has just prayed that the servant's eyes will be open and he will now be able to see the spirit of God. He sees the power of God all around him. It's like a veil has been removed. He can see the power of God. So then the Aramean army is coming right at them. So now Elisha turns to them and says, God, blind them. Take away their sight so they can no longer see. So now the Aramean soldiers, they can't see anything. They're blind. So Elisha just walks up to them and he says, hey guys, how you doing? So I think you're lost. I think you're in the wrong place, but tell you what, I'll show you where you need to be and I'll help you find the man you're looking for. So now the army, the soldiers, the Arameans, they blindly follow Elisha where he takes them. So Elisha, leads the army of the Arameans right into the middle of Samaria, Samaria Central. You know where this is? This is Israel. This is where the king of Israel lives. These are the people they've been trying to battle against and try to attack this entire time. So they bring them into the middle of Samaria. And then Elisha says, hey God, open their eyes. And so suddenly now they're in the middle of the enemy camp and they can now see. Now I'm pretty sure they're disoriented. Have you ever had that happen? Have you ever been blindfolded and taken someplace? I know when, um, right after my husband and I got married, he was gonna give me a surprise party. At this point, I did not know it was a party, a surprise event. And so he takes me someplace as he says, a surprise is getting ready. And then we head back to the surprise, he blindfolds me and he drives me around and he walks me to a door and I'm like, am I in the middle of the woods? That's what I felt like. I felt like I'd been taken out to the middle of the woods. And then when he takes the blindfold off, I'm seeing the whole time we were just back in our house. Right, because it's just so disorienting. But I'm sure as these Arameans are brought into the middle of Israel, they're a little disoriented. They're a little confused. But then suddenly they go, uh-oh, oh, this is not good. This is not good at all. Because now they are surrounded by the enemy. 
And so then suddenly the king of Israel, the Bible tells us the king of Israel comes up and he sees, he goes, oh, he's got all these, all these Arameans right there captured. And he says, this is what he says exactly. He says, Elisha, can I kill him? Can I kill him? It's like a, little, like a little kid. Can I kill him? Can I kill him? Can I, can I, can I? And Elisha says, no, you can't kill him. I mean, even if you capture them fair and square, you wouldn't kill them. He says, give them some food, give them some water and send them back home. So uh, the king of Israel now creates a banquet for them. And he, they serve him a banquet and then they send him back home with their tail between their legs. And it tells us that now the Arameans are not at battle with Israel any longer. Actually, until the next verse, because I think they're in battle again. There's probably a lot of years between that, but the next verse, they're in war again. But I think it's just so, I love the illustration that Elisha's servant's eyes were opened, but then we blinded the eyes of the Aramean. The Bible, we're told in 2 Corinthians 3.18, for those of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And it tells us those who don't know him cannot see him. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, when we come in, give our lives over to him, we have, we can see, it's like we have a veil removed. Our lives are changed. And then we have the Holy Spirit within us. We have within us that superpower, a power within us 24 seven to help us deal with whatever it is, whatever challenge, whatever, anything we are facing. We are not doing it alone. We are never, ever powerless. Because although we may not be facing a battle of Arameans, we are all facing some kind of battle. If we're not in this moment, we have faced a battle and we will face a battle at some point. Maybe though our battle is in our marriage. Maybe our battle is with um, our children or our parents or some other family member. Maybe our battle is with our job or our health or our finances. Maybe our battle, we're battling addiction. Maybe our battle is just right here. Maybe we are battling insecurity and self-doubt and negativity. But whatever we are battling, we are never facing that battle alone. Just like God did not send Elisha and his servant out there powerless, we are never powerless. We have the power of God within us. Remember, we have a superpower. And God is telling us, I am not asking you to face these things alone. I am with you. Now, even though God may not change our circumstances, God gives us the power and the strength to deal with anything we're faced with, anything that we may fear. God is saying, hey, look at me. Look at that power. Don't look at what you fear. Focus on me. Thanks again for listening. You can find out more about Love Lake Norman at lovelkn.org. If you live in our area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday. If you're not near our church, we want to encourage you to find a life-giving church to be a part of where you live. That will be a key next step on your spiritual journey. Please take a minute, subscribe to this podcast, and keep up to date with our weekly messages. And thanks again for joining the Love Lake Norman podcast.